Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. Hello, this is Alona Thompson with Palate Exposure. I have a very special guest today. You guys are going to learn a lot. And I promise you'll be touched by the story like I was when I first learned about the organization that's called NBCA, it's North, North Bay Cancer Alliance. And my guest is Kent Corley. We'll talk about his other life as we discussed many times later on in the podcast, because there is a whole other story to be told. But we'll start with the organization that's very near and dear to his heart that he dedicates a lot of time, energy, and all resources to. Welcome, Kent. Hey, thanks for having me. So we need to establish a bit of background here. Um, tell us a little bit about where you were born, You know what your family life was like, what led up to where you are today? Sure, so I grew up in Los Angeles and spent most of my uh, high school and a couple of years at UCLA and decided that I didn't want to be an English major at UCLA and I should come up and work for the, the family business for a, a little bit, which uh, our family has a winery in, in the Napa Valley. So I did that uh, for, for a, a couple of years and finished at Sonoma State, and I've been living in Santa Rosa ever since. Wow, so this really is your home now? You're, you're a Sonoma person, right? Absolutely, yeah, I live in Santa Rosa, um, and I do spend quite a bit of time in, in Napa during the week helping the, the family wine business over there. Yeah. So your dad started a winery in Napa Valley, and um, you ended up, like you described, you know, a big part of the organization. And um, at some point, you decided to do other things, right? So at some point, your life took a turn. So maybe we'll do what I typically don't do, which is we'll go to the middle, and then we'll come back to the beginning. So what was that pivotal turning point for you? So I had worked for for a startup in, in Santa Rosa for a, a good number of years up until about uh, 2003. Uh, it, it didn't quite start up like I like many startups don't. And so I was fortunate to be in between things and in the Christmas, Eve of 2004, my father was over at, at the house after some surgery that he had uh, in, in Santa Rosa, and he had a very, um, what we thought was a heart attack going on. Uh, we took him to the emergency room over at St. Joseph Health at Santa Rosa Memorial Hospital, and it turned out he had, his adrenal artery had, had ruptured, so he was bleeding in, internally. Luckily, my wife knew enough to say, we got to get him to the ER right away. So I was, you know, we have a big family, but I was the, the son that was on hand at that particular time and, and moment. And, you know, there was a, a time in the, 
uh, in the hospital room where all the uh, alarms started going off and you know doctors and nurses were uh, getting into gear because you know he's he, he was bleeding in, internally and at one moment they they hung two blood bags um, at the the foot of his his bed and so I knew it was a serious situation that was that was going on and it was it was kind of surreal because I've been a blood donor for for many years I just donated um, maybe a couple of weeks before that and I was as all this was happening they were hooking him up and um, you know to all the monitors and the alarms were still going off and um, I thought wow I wonder if that could have been my blood that was donated that now he could be getting you know and so my mind was was kind of blown at, at, at that moment and it turned out that the doctor saved him um, he, he recovered uh, 100% after that, but the moment uh, really moved me uh, to look more at the at the blood bank and uh, investigate what you know what really goes on behind the scenes there, and maybe there is a place for for me at at the blood bank. So this was Blood Bank of the Redwoods in 2003 or 2004, I should say. And so it took me six months of, of paying attention to what was going on at, at the blood bank when a position opened up that was in my uh, my skill set, which was fund development and public relations. And uh, they offered me a, a, a job, which I took, and I've been uh, associated with the blood bank, which has gone through a variety of consolidations and mergers over the years um, ever since. And it's been completely rewarding. Um, and one of the things about donating blood that people don't really realize, uh, many people don't realize, is how much blood goes to cancer patients. And this was one of the aha moments for 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 me. You know, why would a cancer patient need blood? They're not bleeding. Most people think of you know. You're bleeding out, you're shot, or you're surgery, you know, you have a surgery or something like that. Um, but chemotherapy knocks out your, your uh, platelets. And so cancer patients need blood all the time, which was very interesting to me. And, you know, about 2008 or so, I was asked to sit on the board of directors of the, this North Bay Cancer Alliance nonprofit. It was in Santa Rosa, and I said yes, and then I've been on the board ever since, and I ended up taking over the, um, you know, the executive director role of, uh, along the way. So that's how I got into um, the North Bay Cancer Alliance, and you know, it's been extremely re rewarding, as has been the um, working with the, the blood bank. To be honest, I think I just started donating blood because it was it was the right thing to do, and it, it never I never really thought about um, you know I assumed it, the blood would go to patients, but it it was just something that that I did uh, from from time to time, and once I started working there and really understood the um, you know the complexity of that organization. 
you know, it's just really a, an impressive uh, industry. Um, you know, it's a, uh, it involves so many different disciplines from technology to science to human behavior um, to straight up fundraising. There, there's just a lot going on and it's, it's very compelling. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, growing up, you know, we were kind of in, instilled with our parents and grandparents as far as some kind of ph philanthropy and donating blood is a kind of philanthropy. There's no, there's no money tied to it, but you're, you're doing, you know, you're kind of a civic, civic duty. So I think I always had that um, part of me as part of my upbringing. I am a firm believer that we all come from childhood, from a family of origin. I think a lot of our decision-making as adults and life choices can be tied up to that. Um, when you said doing the right thing, that struck me as one of your core values. That language really many ways who you are, what you believe. So now um, I'm really curious about your family. I know it's a large family. Your dad has seven kids. And you also reference your grandchildren. They obviously had influenced you a great deal, the man that you are today, the citizen you are today. So tell us a little bit about what you observed growing up. What, were you close to your grandparents? How did it all work? Yeah, we were, we were very close to, to my grandparents. Um, he was in the banking industry in, in Los Angeles and um, it was a, an important person and you know we were able to attend you know functions over the years where he was honored for his community service um, you know he was involved with starting the Museum of Science and Industry uh, down in, down in Los Angeles one of the, the, the founders of, of that uh, organization and yeah so I think there was there was always part of of giving back um, but yeah not in I don't know not in a grandiose way or any anything like that just kind of doing I think doing the right thing doing the right thing and um, treating people well and then you know maybe carving out you know, one or two activities a year that, you know, kind of symbolizes that, whether you're, you know, running around the track at high school to raise money for um, whatever the cause is. Um, so I think we did have, have that uh, growing up. My, my father had a lot of that. And so, you know, when he started the uh, family winery in the Napa Valley in 1970, you know, we've been around Napa for for a long time, and he was always part of uh, oh, the planning commission or Queen of the Valley uh, Foundation. And you know, my brothers have been involved in Rotary and the Boys and Girls Clubs, and so we've just um, incorporated our you know our our way of life into some type of community service, um, and it just seems pretty natural to, to us, but, um, you know, just normal. You're describing it as normal, but I think a lot of us are in awe of how 
understated you are and humble about the fact that all of you served your community. The idea of picking, just referencing what you just said, picking one or two events and donating your time, your, you know, helping out financially, whatever it is that you feel is feasible in specific context. Such a powerful thing. Um, we all like to talk about world's problems, but uh, unfortunately, fewer of us are willing to do something specific, take action in what we can influence. You just made a really great case for how incrementally you can improve the life of those around you. Well, and I think I, I, I certainly do appreciate uh, all the people that work for agencies and nonprofits that have, you know, a particular community purpose. And, you know, I get to see uh, from North Bay Cancer Alliance perspective, a lot of the uh, patient navigators, nurse navigators, nurses, um, and doctors that work in oncology. And, you know, it is, it, it is a job, but I mean, the, the service that they do that's what really impresses me day after day, working with people whose you know, lives are on the line um, to, to some extent and not maybe living or dying on a per particular day, but over time, you know, and they get to know these, these individuals, these cancer patients. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm just really impressed with, you know, the, the people that do make it their, their livelihood. The society at large, of course, we're recording in the times of COVID, where one of the things that came into focus in the forefront is the healthcare workers. And now a lot of us are far more aware of the heroes that, you know, are everyday ones. Not the ones that fly around with a cape, the ones that hold the hand of patients. And we're so grateful in our hearts that these people choose every day to do what they do for others. It's a selfless act. But you've been witnessing it for many, many years, decades, really. So I'm sure it shaped a lot of your vision and a lot of your point of view. And you've had very close and personal um, situation with your dad um, that really must have affected you in very dramatic ways, watching him go through major illness. So were you close to your dad? Yes, um, you know, different than maybe someone as an only child would be with, with their, their, their parent. Um, you know, we've got, I've got six brothers and uh, sisters. Well, five, you know, six brothers and one sister. Um, and so he had, you know, he had a whole team to be able to uh, to, to count on to, to be around for him when he when he needed it. Uh, so like a lot of parents, you know, we count on them for majority of our lives, but there comes a time when they need help from from the family. And, you know, I, he was lucky, you know, after he got prostate cancer, he passed away in uh, 2016. Um, and, but he had cancer for um, seven or eight years, and he was fortunate to have all of us around and available to be the advocate, to go to uh, appointments with him, to drive him, to do 
a lot of the things that are that are needed. Um, you know, he had the financial wherewithal where you know, um, there wasn't going to be a, a huge uh, a huge problem. Uh, although, thank God for Medicare, which he came to appreciate much more in his older life than he did, I think, as a younger businessman. Um, but the impact on 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 me from what I'm seeing is, you know, as many people as he had around him for a support system, it was still challenging and it was still difficult for, for him um, and, and for the family. And so it, it makes me that much more aware of all those individual people who don't have a family, don't have a support system, but they do have a cancer diagnosis that they need to, to treat and, and address because you, you just really can't let that go. So that's where NBCA comes in to, to play in our, in our community um, for those individuals who, um, you know, they've exhausted all their uh, maybe sources of, of you know, financial uh, wherewithal and, you know, it, it makes me proud that there is an organization like NBCA that's available for those for those people, and sometimes you have to seek them out, which which we do um, to make sure that they're that they know that there is help uh, available. So, you know, I think when you have a family member, you know, you you go you go through it, and you can empathize, and you're kind of in the in the moment. Um, but it does also make you think. How about all the other people in the waiting room? You know, who maybe are there by them by themselves, and you know, so it's uh, it, it's been you know very rewarding for me to be involved and be able to uh, oh maybe maneuver the organization a little bit um, to you know try and be relevant in this um, weird world of healthcare that we find ourselves in. Um, I have a million questions related to that, but perhaps the most important one. Where do you get your gift of empathy? Where does it come from? I couldn't I I couldn't tell you. Um, I didn't really I didn't realize I I had it till I was in uh, you know, at, really at Sonoma State uh, and going through the Myers-Briggs exercise, <laughs> realizing that um, I've, I was just, you know, given a, a, a boatload of, of empathy. Um, and I mean, as for, for most of my life, I've just been a very introverted person. Um, still am to, to some extent. <clears throat> so there is you know, always some you know, anxieties as far as being around large groups and, you know, public speaking opportunities and things like that or something that I, you know, I did not gravitate to, but I did have, you know, just in an in innate empathy um, that, you know, I've learned, I've learned about and under, you know, have a better understanding of, of myself, certainly. And, you know, I don't think it was, and maybe with some people it's learned, 
you know, maybe some people you just have it or, or you, or you don't, um, I, I can't really say. Describe your father to me. He, um, as a father, is very didactic. He was, you know, always trying to uh, educate the kids, um, <clears throat> provide some some guardrails. Um, a lot of it was business oriented. Um, growing up in Los Angeles, you know, he ran a number of different businesses. And, um, you know, we didn't spend as much time with him as, uh, as, a, as a group. He and my mom were, were divorced, so uh, he moved on to a, a, a second wife while we were still young. So we had, you know, we had an interesting family dynamic with him and without him. Um, I think really in, in the wine in the wine business what helped him be so successful was he's he's really part showman um and just genuine gracious hospitality you know just comes from him he just he loves the social interaction of drinking wine around the table and you know having good conversation with with friends and family he liked the travel he liked going to different parts of uh, the country and, you know, bringing wine um, and talking about wine. And so the, the, the winery ended up being a good business for him because he, he could be himself and he could be, um, you know, out there and very social, but, you know, really trying to pay attention to the economics of, of building a sound business. <clears throat> Nowadays, kind of all, you know, the, the game has changed so significantly. You know, people get into the business with, you know, just a, a large amount of money and their reason for being in it and ability to stay in it isn't really uh, necessarily based on having uh, profits come from, you know, from operations. Uh, you know, they've got deep, a lot of people have deep pockets and they can become a lifestyle. For our family, it's always been economics first. We just need to have a successful business that can uh, sustain itself. And you know, in when we had his uh, funeral service uh, at the at the winery, I think maybe there was 350 people or more that that came out. That you know, we knew he touched a lot of people, but he touched a lot more people than even we had um, imagined. And I think he was just always genuine with with people and gave you the straight story um, and people gravitated to to him and you know you know now the kids the family's trying to carry on that that legacy um, in this you know ever changing landscape of of you know northern California winery businesses it must have been be around. Yeah. Um, we describe him as a man that, in some ways, a very strong person um, with a really strong set of values, but also warm and genuine. Um, it must be a lot, a lot of us with 
say it's hard to live up to such a charismatic persona. Did you experience any of that? Yes, certainly between my, my father and grandfather set really high bars um, that, you know, almost unreasonable to, to think that um, they can be uh, excelled. So, you know, I, I just try to think of, you know, just being the best person. I think my brothers think this the same way and, and sister, just be the best people that, that we can be and that you know, we can be ourselves. Everyone's going to be different and we don't need to follow the same path. Um, and it has provided a good opportunity for, you know, for, for our family because the winery is a large enough operation, you know, where we've got, you know, one uh, brother, Chris, who's the winemaker, you know, he's a musician, you know, kind of by uh, growing up and he's, he's very creative and, you know, he's just an outstanding winemaker. And that was, you know, that was his area. And, you know, we've got other brother that can, you know, he's a salesman, so he can be in sales and a, a wine grower. So it's big enough that we can, you know, the family can find roles to play uh, in, in the business. Um, and so that's been, that's been fun to, to see. And now we even have the third generation coming up under, underneath us. Um, you know, I've got a niece that's working at the winery and in the wine club. And so we've had op opportunities and we've got other brothers that are, you know, not in the wine business and they're doing other things. And that's, and that's great. That's great too. So, you know, I think we were given, you know, a, a great, a great head start to be able to, you know, have the education and grounding so we could, we could go anywhere and do, you know, things that were interesting to us. Well, congratulations on having several family members in the business. One of the pain points, not just in Napa Valley, but in any wine country is that perhaps the newer generation's dream is not the same as their forefathers. So that creates a huge issue um, in generational farming and things of that nature. So the fact that you have such profound family involvement, I think, bodes really well in the future. Not to mention that you make delicious wines. Um, we cannot <laughs> not mention that because I've had the privilege of tasting your wines for many, many years. And one thing I can point to is consistency. It's always high quality. Um, and, you know, very accessible, beautiful grounds. If you guys find yourself traveling to Napa Valley, I implore you to visit Corley. The conclusion of this interview can be found in the next podcast, already available for your download. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Pal Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson.